Heavenly Father, we come before you acknowledging that you are our Father. Lord, I ask that you would give power to your servant here today by your Spirit. Help me to deliver a message from yourself to the people gathered here so that we can be encouraged in the faith and loved you all the more. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last time I preached, we finished the book of Hebrews together, and I thought of where should we go next, and I've decided I'd come to Genesis chapter 3 for a slow study of it. I've always wanted to study Genesis chapter 3 in greater detail, and one of the easiest ways for me to do that is to incorporate it into a preaching series, because of course then you guys are paying me to study it. And so I benefit from uh, your uh, time, the time that you set aside in my life uh, so that I can study it, and of course hopefully you benefit from the fruits of my labour in studying it as well. And so Genesis chapter 3 is at the beginning of the Bible, and I encourage you to have it open before you now, page 3 of the Black Church Bibles, if you've got one with you. And Genesis chapter 3 occurs after a few key events that have happened in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 1, the world is created in six days, and it is all very good. And he also creates Adam and Eve, our first parents. And they then are placed in the Garden of Eden. And this is a lovely garden that God has set aside for them to live in and to enjoy. And he also gives them a command. And we see that in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2. We didn't read it just before, but I'll read it now with you. Verses 15 through to 17 of Genesis chapter 2, page 2 of the Black Church Bibles there. We see Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. God has created Adam and Eve. He has put them in a lovely spot. And then he's given them this command. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, things start to unravel. And we see someone shows up. And that is the serpent, who we know to be Satan. In verse 1 of chapter 3, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. This serpent is there in the garden, and then he begins to speak to Eve. He begins to tempt her. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, He, that's Satan, the serpent, said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And this is what I want to focus on this morning. Now, this one verse has quite a few questions that could be raised. We could do a sermon series on Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 in itself. But I won't do that this morning. I won't look at uh, why did the serpent show up in the garden? Where did he come from? When did Satan fall? Uh, Why did God allow Satan into the garden to tempt Eve? Instead, I want to focus on the words of Satan here in verse 1, where he says, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And particularly, this first part of that sentence there, where he says, Did God really say? And even, I'll shorten it down from there, I want to focus on the word really. Because this is actually Satan's first word to Adam and Eve. Uh, in the Hebrew, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't show up here in English, but in Hebrew, it is actually the first word that he speaks in the scriptures. It may not be the first word he speaks at all, but it's definitely the first word of Satan in the Bible. Really. 
What is Satan doing here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, in his first words to Eve? Is he seeking honest inquiry of God's word? Is he actually saying, did God say, I want to know what God has said to you? Or does he actually know what God has said? And by the word really here, is he indicating some sort of judgment on the word of God? See, what Satan is doing here is he's trying to cause Adam and Eve to doubt God's word. He's not after an honest inquiry. He's not saying, what did God say? Which we're supposed to do. We're supposed to know what God says. No, he knows what God says. He actually quotes a bit of what God's command was. He says, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Now, he's changed it slightly as well, and we could focus on that. Any tree in the garden. But... He's also making a judgment in using the word really there. The ESV translation has, did God actually say? Or The word often can just be translated as yea, yes. And he's indicating surprise at God's word. He's trying to say, God has spoken, and what he has spoken is odd. See, Satan isn't coming out to Eve and saying something that would put her guard up straight away. What would that be? God is evil. If he said to Eve, God is evil, she would be a little bit more guarded in speaking to him. But if he says, did God really say? He's implying indirectly that God is evil, that God is unkind, God is harsh to cut you off from trees in the garden, from any tree, but also one tree in particular. And so Satan is causing an attack upon God's word here. Satan knows that if he can get Eve offside with God's word, then he can get Eve offside with God. If you doubt somebody's word, then your relationship starts to be impacted. Imagine another employee at work, his arrival with you for the boss's affections. And if that employee can get you to doubt the boss's word in some way, maybe even disregard the boss's command, did the boss really say, did our boss really say that? Oh, that's unreasonable. Let's, let's, you do something else instead. And then the boss finds out that you've disregarded his command. There could be great impact upon your relationship with your boss. And that is what Satan is doing here. He's rather crafty. He knows to attack God comes best by attacking his word. And if I can get Eve to doubt God's word, then I can ruin his, uh, her relationship with God. Now, why do I want to focus on this this morning? Because Satan's question is clearly still at work today. This sentence here, this fragment of a sentence in chapter 3, verse 1, is still at work today. Did God really say... How do we know this? Because so many people in our world have satanic surprise at the teachings of the Bible. Things that the Bible declares quite plainly, people laugh at. People laugh at the idea that man is sinful. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, we're not that bad. People laugh at the idea that God became man, Jesus Christ. God become man, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the virgin, Truly man, truly God. And then there he died a sacrificial death and rose again. Ha ha. Did God really say that? That's surprising. That's odd. 
People laugh at the idea that the sinner is justified, not by personal merit, but by solely on the basis of God's gracious gift. Through repentance and faith, people laugh at that idea that it could just, is it really just all of grace, God's grace, that we are saved? And people laugh at the idea of a final judgment to come, something that the Bible teaches quite plainly, that there's a final judgment, when Jesus will judge everyone and each one will receive reward in paradise or punishment in hell. People laugh at it. They have satanic surprise. Did God really say there's an end to this world and he will judge us? Now, in a perfect world, all these doctrines would be accepted without question. God says it. We accept it. It's true. They wouldn't be ridiculed. So why are people surprised at these doctrines? Because they've listened to Satan and doubted God's word. They've listened to Satan and doubted God's word. It's a slippery slope. Once you doubt God's word, once you start doubting what God has said is true, all doctrines can sound surprising and even harsh. Doctrines like the resurrection of the dead sound surprising. Hmm. And commands from God actually sound a bit mean-spirited. Once you doubt God's word, everything else can start to fall away. And this should not be. Yes, we're to study the scriptures. We are to ask, what did God say? Because we are ignorant often as to what God has said. But we're not to judge the scriptures by saying, did God really say this? When we know very well what he says. There's a difference between being completely ignorant but also knowing what God has plainly taught in Scripture and then rejecting it as odd. Because that's a judgment upon God's word. And we are meant to come to God's word not to judge it, but to be judged by it. God speaks, we listen. We do not speak back and say, did you really say that? That's odd. No, we are meant to ask, what did God say, not what uh, did God really say, and judge his word. Now, why is it so important to get this right? Well, there's awful consequences. Eve quickly learnt the awful consequences of doubting God's word, of starting down that trail of saying, did God really say that, of listening to Satan? And we'll start to see as we study chapter 3 together, the things that happen to Eve, the consequences of doubting God's word. But it happens again and again as we look at the pages of the scriptures together. We see Pharaoh, king of Egypt, he regularly doubted God's word. And what happened? Plague after plague on his country, and eventually he lost his own son. We see the Israelites. They doubted God's word that they could go into the promised land. What happened? They all died in the desert. And then when they got into the promised land, what happened? They doubted God's word and they ended up 70 years in exile in Babylon. And many of them didn't even make it there. Many of them were destroyed by Syrians and by the Babylonian army. Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, they doubt God's word about lying. Did God really say we can't lie? They dropped dead in Acts chapter 5. In family worship at the moment, we've, we've stopped reading kids' Bibles together and we're uh, reading the actual... Uh, adult Bible, the NIV text, and we've been working our way through Acts, and we came to Acts chapter 5, and the children were a bit stunned. This wasn't in any of the kids' Bibles. 
People lying and dropping dead. What's the problem with Ananias and Sapphira? Doubt of God's word. We see that there's consequences when we doubt God's word, doubt his commands, and don't do what he says. I've just gotten back from two weeks annual leave, and when I was on leave I did a lot of reading, and one of the books that I did read was Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. It's meant to be a classic. I'm not sure how many people in the church have actually read it, but it's about uh, a Russian student and a murder that he perpetrates upon a pawnbroker to try and get her money. And basically the whole book is about him being tortured by his conscience. And there's a lot of reference to God. He knew that murder was wrong. But what was his problem? He said, did God really say? And then he suffered the consequences of doubting God's word about murder. And then we know from the scriptures that the greatest punishment for doubting God's word, particularly his command to trust in him, to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, the greatest punishment of all for doubting God's word, is exile to hell forever, to suffer the pains of torment in hell. And so if we are not to be damned to hell, we must have scripture as our authority without question. We must listen to the Bible and not question it. I just got back from holidays, as I said. We went on a cruise to New Zealand. We've started to love going on cruises for different reasons. And on the first day, they get you to all uh, do a drill, for a fire drill, basically, or to abandon the ship. And as part of the law, everyone has to go, go to your muster stations. And, uh, and then for the rest of the trip, you should be listening out for the kinds of things that are taught to you in that fire drill. And if the captain of the ship says, abandon ship, get your life jacket, make your way to the muster station, it's not a time for going, did he really say abandon ship? Why did he say abandon ship? Maybe he wants that buffet all to himself. He sounds harsh. I've only just got on this boat. Abandon ship? I'm not abandoning ship. I'm going to enjoy myself. No, if the captain says abandon ship, you abandon ship. You don't sit around saying, did he really say that? That's surprising. That's odd. And so if the captain of this world says don't do something, then you don't do it. You don't sit around saying, did he really say that? That seems harsh. That seems unkind for God to say that. And that's why I'm so encouraged to be part of a church that has scripture as its final authority, that trusts in the scriptures so much with so little doubt. But my job here as pastor of Des Moines Baptist Church is to make sure that you remain vigilant against Satan's attack on God's word. Because Satan is more crafty than any of the wild animals. It's told to you there in verse 1 of chapter 3. And we have to watch out because much of the world has been won over by Satan's first word. Really? Really? And they live their lives in ignorance of God's word. And Christian denominations and churches often start to doubt God's word and then they just completely unravel. Churches often teach doctrines that previous generations would be shocked to hear are now being taught within their churches. 
Just this year, 2018, the Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C. passed a resolution to drop gendered references to God in favour of gender-neutral language. The resolution adopted states, revision of the Book of Common Prayer is authorised to utilise expansive language for God from the rich source of feminine, masculine and non-binary imagery for God found in scripture and tradition, and when possible to avoid the use of gendered pronouns for God. So God is not to be referred to as he. And it also means the Lord's Prayer has to be revised. Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us to pray. What did Jesus say? Our Father. Uh, 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 uh. Can't say that anymore in the Episcopal Church, Washington, D.C. No more Our Father. Why is that the case? Because they've doubted God's word a long time before they got to this point. This is not the serious problem, ultimately, gendered pronouns for God. The problem is that they've doubted God's word, that they've rejected God's word, and things have just been unravelling ever since then. And so as a church, we must keep Scripture as our final authority without question. Currently, all our church members must affirm in our statement of faith the Scriptures, consisting of 66 books of the Old and New Testament, are the infallible word of God. They were written by holy men of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and, it's a key point, have supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct and whatever it affirms. They have supreme authority. Not you, not we as a church, when we get together and make a decision. No, that's not the supreme authority in this church. The supreme authority is the Scriptures. And this doctrine must never fail to leave us. It must be believed and lived. Otherwise, anything goes. Everything is open to question. Once you listen to Satan's voice and say, really about the word of God. So what should acceptance of God's word look like in our church? Well, if leaders don't teach God's word and don't answer your questions with the Bible, then be afraid. Satan is not far away. And if church members are not interested in listening to the word of God taught, be afraid. And it's not just that they don't want to listen. If they don't want to do what the word of God says, be afraid. Be afraid. If a, a question comes up in the church and the Bible is clear on the matter and the people do not want to do what the Bible says, it's a problem. There's a real problem. Satan is very close, asking, did God really say? So how are you going in your submission to the scriptures? Your behaviour always tells others what you think of the Bible. Eve's does, as we will see. Satan's behaviour, we'll see. All starts with the Bible. And so the way that you live says volumes about your view of the Bible, even if you don't think the Bible is a part of the matter. Do you have a regular sin that reveals that you've been listening to a snake? You know the Bible speaks strongly against your actions, but you do it anyway. You've been listening to a snake rather than listening to the word of God. Maybe you're not struggling with a particular sin at the moment. Watch out. There are points in life when we know what God has said, 
but we're surprised when we hear it. And it seems harsh. Something that seemed okay yesterday, when you study in the Word of God, it starts to seem harsh because of your circumstances changing. In the past, you never struggled with your neighbour's house or wife or his possessions. Maybe you didn't have such nice neighbours in the past. You moved to a different suburb. His car looks pretty good. His wife looks pretty good. But she's not yours. And you understand the scripture says she's not yours. But that starts to seem harsh. If you start to be surprised by God's commands, you've got a stamp on that surprise in your mind. Because it won't be long if you start being surprised by the word of God before you start doing what he has commanded you not to do. It won't be long before you're in an adulterous relationship, before you're taking something that doesn't belong to you because you've been questioning God's word for quite some time. Our attitude should be like someone who saw me recently about a particular social evil. This person's particularly attracted to the social evil, thinks that maybe it would be okay, but at the end of the discussion said, look, God's word says it's not okay. That settles it. God's word says it's not okay. That settles it. No more question to be asked. It's not okay. And Paul commends the church in Thessalonica for this attitude to the word of God. We read it before in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul says, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. They accepted the word of God as the word of God. And once you accept the scriptures unquestioningly, once you accept the word of God as it actually is the word of God, there is great reward. You don't have to wrestle anymore in trying to work out what's right and wrong because the word of God has settled it. So many of the problems in Christendom could be simply solved if people just listened to what the word plainly teaches and did it. Now, there's other things in Christendom which we differ on opinion of, and God's word is not particularly clear on certain issues, and there's all kinds of theological points that I know about, and I rarely share at church on Sunday because I don't want to confuse you, and the matters of tertiary importance, or even further down than that, they're just, the Bible doesn't speak very clearly on them. And Bible colleges can spend all kinds of time debating these issues. I'm not speaking about those. Those kinds of things, it's very, very good to ask, what did God say and investigate as much as we can? But there are many things in Scripture that are plainly taught. But then churches and denominations are ripped asunder because of them. If they'd only listen to what the Word of God says, there'd be peace throughout Christendom on many matters that are tearing it apart. There's a peace that comes from knowing God has spoken and I will just do what he says. And Satan becomes weak once you just start accepting the word of God as the word of God. James 4 tells us, submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves to God. Submit yourself to his word. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Once Satan knows that you will just accept God's word... He's really got no other trick in the book. His first word is really. And that says a lot about 
his allegiance and all his attacks. We're often very interested in a, a baby's first word because it'll show allegiance. He was going to say mama or dada. What's Satan's first word? Really. That's his best attack to get you to question God's word. And so if you submit yourselves to God, to his word, then he will flee from you. And instead of punishing you, God will reward you. Benefits from accepting God's word. One is the peace in our hearts. Don't have to worry about things anymore. What's right and wrong? Wrestle it out in our own minds. Because God said it. I accept it. That settles it. Second one is Satan flees from you. Third is God rewards those who accept his word. Shown again and again in the scriptures. It's promised to us. Shown again and again in this life. And then in the next, he rewards those who trust in him. And so if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, then this is where you start, with God's word. With God's word. Start listening to the voice of your creator rather than the voice of Satan. What should you be listening to this morning if you're not a Christian? You should be listening to verses like John three thirty-six: Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. What is that verse saying? Saying very plainly, so you don't have to ask, what did God say? No, he says it very clearly. Whoever believes in the Son, if you believe in the Son, trust Jesus Christ. You have eternal life. But if you reject the Son, you will not see life, for God's wrath remains on you. God has told us plainly that we are sinners and we deserve God's wrath. But there is a way of salvation through Jesus Christ. If you trust in Jesus Christ's sacrificial death of the cross, the Bible plainly talks about it, then you have eternal life. And so if you're an unbeliever here this morning, you're not a Christian, you've never sworn allegiance to Jesus Christ, listen to what God says to you this morning. He spoke to Adam and Eve many years ago. He speaks to you today and tells you what to do. Stop questioning it. Stop asking questions. And believe it and live forever. I know some people are obsessed with Satan. They're very, and it can be Christian, non-Christian. They're very interested in him, curious about his origins, and terrified of what he might do. Probably watch too many horror movies. Very scared of Satan. Do you want to know what is truly satanic? What is truly satanic? Never seen in a horror movie. What is truly satanic? Doubting God's word. Because if you doubt God's word, sin and punishment always follow. So let me encourage you all this morning, Christian and non-Christian alike, stop doubting and believe. It's as simple as that. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak to him. Heavenly Father, we adore you as a God who speaks to his creatures and tells them what to do. You've actually told us how we are to live. But Lord, we confess that we have often questioned your word. We have listened to Satan and disobeyed you. Forgive us through Christ's death for us. If we do nothing else in this world, oh Lord, help us to trust in Christ as you have commanded. 
without question. And Lord, we do come and ask that you would help us to hear you speak and obey with our question on many other matters. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.